Hello and welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers, episode 24. I'm Matt Bazell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And this week we watched 1976's All the President's Men. Wait, wait, what? I thought we did Ex Machina. No, this is a regular week one. Oh, no. Oh, I'm all fucked up. There will be spoilers, 100 films, 100 podcasts. I'm Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And this week we watched number 77 on AFI's top 100 list, 1976's All the President's Men. Yes, not Ex Machina. Definitely All the President's Men. <laughs> Definitely is not many hours later in us recording the podcast. I did not watch, I definitely did not watch the wrong movie and think that it was the right one. No, I definitely watched this one. <laughs> because that's something, I don't know, a fool would do. It is something a fool would do, and certainly I am no such thing. Absolutely. So, Ethan, why don't you just kick us off with a plot synopsis? Here it is. All the President's Men is the story of Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward, two Washington Post reporters who broke the Watergate scandal. The film begins with the Watergate burglars being caught in the Watergate Hotel. Woodward discovers that the burglars have an attorney that seems oddly connected with them, leading him to further investigation. The attorney has ties to a CIA agent and Nixon's special counsel. Woodward is assigned to cover the story with Bernstein, and the two, although initially appearing to be at odds, end up working effectively together. Their initial story is deemed not worthy of the front page, and they're encouraged to keep writing. Woodward contacts a connection known only as Deep Throat, who feeds him information. The two, quote-unquote, follow the money to the Committee to Re-Elect the President, also known as Creep, and continue writing. However, their superiors want stronger sources, not unnamed ones, and they continue investigating. They keep writing. They are met with many non-denial denials from sources and from the White House, though in a final meeting with Deep Throat, Woodward finds out that the Watergate scandal goes much deeper than they thought, involving the entire intelligence community. The film ends with the two reporters typing their final story as Nixon is re-elected, and the scene closes with teletype headline reports that tell us of Nixon's demise, his fall from power. That last scene kind of fell flat for me, and I had to kind of tell myself, well, that's because that's how it happened, right? This film tied itself to actual footage from the time period mm -hmm. during the Watergate scandal. So it's really hard to have like this amazing conclusion when they're just working with what they have, right? They seem pretty true to what they were doing with, you know, actually having Woodward and Bernstein you know, advising. This is a, this, I, is this a, would you call it a biopic? Not really, I guess. No, not really. But it's an adaptation of their book. So, I mean, you're right. It's there's only so, you know, you can't have a super dramatic finish when I mean, this is the, how the story goes. <laughs> is Robert Redford, the guy who plays Bob Woodward, is he just that generation's Brad Pitt? I think so. I mean, I think he's supposed to be like a sex symbol. Because I just kept seeing I was like, wow, this looks like Brad Pitt. Like that's that's Brad Pitt for the 70s. Yeah, he's totally like a rugged 70s dude. And then you've got Dustin Hoffman. I love Dustin Hoffman. Don't you dare say a damn 
bad word about Dustin Hoffman, you son of a bitch. I wasn't even going to say anything bad about him. I like Dustin Hoffman. Oh, good. I love Dustin Hoffman. Ethan, why don't we turn to themes and talk about some of the important things that occur in this film outside of the plot? Well, I mean, I think this one is very obviously skepticism towards the government. I mean, it's kind of hard to get away from that as a theme. I mean, this is the Nixon thing. I mean, this is when we go from, you know, this sort of... I mean, it's a, it's a sort of a watershed moment where... You know, we don't trust the the government at all in the same way we used to because Nixon was a nut job, did some bad shit. And so, you, I mean, it really solidifies, I think, the shift from the 50s and 60s and that sort of, like, golden era of, like, you know, if you're white and you're straight, and especially if you're a man, you know, the government is on your side. But this, I mean, really exposes that it's not. And they lie to you, and they do bad things. Well, this really popularizes the idea of Big Brother, right? Mm -hmm. That they're always listening to you, they're always watching you. In fact, that's something the characters in this film say a great many times. Woodward meets Deep Throat in this parking garage at 2 Mm a.m. because he's afraid of being watched, afraid of being heard. And they do that trope where Woodward comes in to see Bernstein and puts on the music and then writes them for being watched, pretty much. And so obviously I feel like you know, that they're, they're definitely getting into the idea of paranoia because we mm-hmm. even get characters developing paranoia. You see throughout the film, Woodward gets more and more, you know, are they watching me? Is someone to come get me? Mm-hmm. I don't know. What does this mean? Is, is this important? Is someone out to get me? Yeah. And all of their sources are all really paranoid, which is why they're all really unwilling to talk to them. And they all have to be like tricked and coaxed into, into talking to them. And obviously, I mean, this is, you know, it comes from the top. Nixon was a crazy paranoid person. And so, you know, you see this, dare I say, trickle down to the, to, I mean, even the reporters, you're right. They get, they get more and more paranoid because they're, everybody's paranoid. All of the, you know, even their superiors at the Washington Post are paranoid because they're like, we can't, can we run this? Is this okay? You know, it, it has to be true. You know, we can't run this shit if you're just, if, you know, if you've just got these unnamed sources, who knows that if anybody's making this up, maybe they're, you know, and they're all worried about the Nixon campaign affecting the campaign. And I think they say three or four times you've got characters that are like, I love this country. I'm an American. I, you know, I'm a Republican. The Republican Party. I don't want to destroy America. Well, I think what you're talking about now is something that dovetails with paranoia, but doesn't necessarily fall fully into it. I think it's actually a a whole different theme of this film in that idea of deduction and induction. And how do you know when your facts are true? If one person says it, is that enough? If three people say it, that's enough. How do you go about gamifying, getting information so people don't tell you, but you saw this information confirmed, right? Right. I mean, I think you're, I think you're totally right. And I think a lot of that has to do with the, this sort of theme of, like, corruption and integrity and, like, what counts as being a person of integrity or a source of integrity or, you know, the, the integrity of the government, right? When, when all these things come to, you know, you've got these sort of backroom dealings or, you know, these sort of secret things happening, like, what... Who do you trust? How do you trust them? How do you become trustworthy? How do you maintain trustworthiness? Is it through non-denial denials, which they also say about a hundred times in this film? Is it through you know naming your sources? Is it through staying anonymous? Is it because it's in print? Is it because the president says it? Who knows, right? It's all sort of over the place. Yeah, we see our two main characters navigating these 
well, frankly, troubled waters in dealing with their sources or potential sources, right? You'll be anonymous or you won't be quoted. You'll be on deep background Mm -hmm. or just tell me this, give me initials, right? And I'll figure Mm -hmm. it out. And then they have all these ploys how to get them to admit to stuff without actually admitting to stuff. And actually my pivotal scene for this week is that short scene where Woodward and Bernstein are in the car mm-hmm. and they're talking about deduction, right? They're in the car and Bernstein's character at the beginning is very much like, I can make the facts tell a story. Mm-hmm. Whereas Woodward says, I need the facts to tell me that story. Yeah. Irrespective of your handling of it. And that actually is something that's brought up very early on when Bernstein is hyping up Woodward's writing, right? Oh, yeah. Sounds like, one, that Bernstein is maybe just a better writer right now. Yeah. But also that he's kind of coloring things a different way. And in that car, they're like, hey, I need facts. And Bernstein is saying, no, you make the facts tell a story. So it's a very short scene. It's like 30 seconds. But I'm going to go ahead and play it right now. How can you write that there's a cover-up? We don't know that there's a cover-up. Well, then I don't know what the hell you need. So you tell me what you need. I need more fact for a story is what I need, and I think you should need the same thing. Okay, if you get in a car, and a car, and, and there's in a mu- car. All right, and there's music playing in a car, hypothetically. And there's yeah. music playing in a car for 10 minutes, and there's yeah. no commercial. What, what can you deduce from that? Is it AM oh, or FM? come F- on, Bernstein. Is it AM or FM? Oh, a guy can come up to me on a street, yeah. and he can ask me an address. Now, is the man interrogating me, or is he lost? What, what kind of a story do I write from? What kind of a deduction do I make from that? Well, you could, because you don't have a gut feeling? That the woman is trying to help us? No, I don't have enough gut feeling. I wish I did. Okay, so we're back. You hear Bernstein saying like things like, well, if music is on the radio for 10 minutes and there's no commercials, what can you deduce, right? Is it AM or FM? And Woodward doesn't accept that at all. And I think it's interesting he uses the word deduce because just because you've gotten one sample, that's not a deduction, right? right. Like that's, the, that's induction. You're just saying, well, I'm going to take this one sample and apply it more broadly when in fact Woodward is trying to get the facts to line up and align and then tell the story. And they kind of actually flip roles throughout the film. It's toward the end that Woodward's actually saying like, what else could it be? It has to be this. And Bernstein has to be the voice of reason and say, look, we don't know that for sure. Uh, You know, Matt, I feel like I, I, can I tell you a secret? Sure. Tell me a secret. This film bored the fuck out of me. Really? Yeah, I was bored, and I had told the scene that our pivotal scene until you actually were talking about it, and we and we've got it here. I rem- I totally remember the radio. Is it AM or FM? Whatever, ten minutes. Blah, 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 blah. But like that, it, it I was just sort. It was another scene in this movie. And what I think this movie maybe suffers from, or maybe what I suffer from with this movie, that I think I I like to call it James Bond movie syndrome because I you know I like James Bond movies but they I don't know who anybody is or really what's at stake and I don't really care uh it's kind of complicated and I never remember who anybody is and I'm just kind of like whatever and this film I feel like sort of suffers from that where I'm just kind of like I don't really remember what your name was or who you are or like there's just a lot going on and I just I get kind of bored and it's hard for me to follow it (laughs) so maybe that says something about me (laughs) rather than this film. Well, I agree that this film is hard to follow because there is a lot going on because a lot went on during the Watergate scandal, right? And the yeah. Washington Post trying to dig through it all. And so I think having that confusion is part of the film's objective. Yeah. And I think for about half the film, I really didn't know what was going on. But I was enthralled by the two main characters because they were really 
you know, trying different things and doing and doing different, you know, strategies to make this stuff pan out for them. Mm-hmm. And so I bit into that and I found it really intriguing. And then toward the back half of the film, I was like, oh, that's right. That's Sloan. He got the payout from this guy. And he's, you know, he's, he's the money man. And now he's, you know, he never, he testified in front of the grand jury, but they never asked him about this guy. And so he didn't say anything. And that's why the, you know, story came out to be uh, discredited when in fact it's still all true. And so I followed that stuff really well toward the end, but I agree that it was really hard to follow the beginning. And even right now, I probably couldn't tell you exactly who is who and how it was all connected to the scandal. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of that also weighs on your knowledge of the Watergate scandal. True. Right? This was done only a few years after it occurred. Yeah, like itself. like three years. And so that, yeah. that actually hits on what I wanted to talk about. I think that this film... I think what is unfortunate about this film, I think it would be so much better if, if we had done this whole project a year and a half ago, two years ago, and it and gotten to this film, and it would have been, I think, more impactful and more sort of horrifying to see. But we live, and, and I follow the news quite regularly, a lot of this stuff is sort of like blasé. Yeah, of course there's money being shuttled from, you know, high-ranking government officials. We live in a political climate right now where the headlines in the Washington Post, which I read uh, every day, are right now Donald Trump Jr. admitted to colluding with a Russian lawyer. And he's like, but it's not a big deal. She didn't give us anything that was useful. And it's like, you've got people coming out and saying, yeah, whatever. Well, sure, we did it. But, you know, I didn't get anything out of it. So you can't like, I'm not at fault. And it's just like, we live in this wild I mean, it's it's the it's why you know Trump gets compared to Nixon. There's we live in another sort of weird, paranormal uh, not paranormal paranoia state of the government where everybody on both sides of the aisle are are distrustful of the government. So it's sort of like to see this. I think again, especially in the '70s, probably felt a lot more like holy shit, we can't trust the government. And right now it's like, everyone's like, no shit, you can't trust the government. There's money being funneled from also, and you know, all the super PACs and the Citizens United ruling, all these things that are rolled up into this, that like, it's just kind of hard to watch this and be like, wow, oh, wow. Uh, these people really don't want to talk. I mean, we live in this age too, where the, uh, there are leaks constantly through unnamed sources. And so to, to the drama of like, well, we can't, you know, you're not naming your sources. And it's like, that's that has become the norm in in particularly this presidential administration i mean it's just leakers left and right i think some of that gets lost now in the in the cultural context and the translation i think you're right but at the same time i don't know if you need the oh wow the government's corrupt kind of shock factor for this film to be successful because you just mentioned how trump is compared to nixon this should have even more resonance then that there are people with journalistic integrity trying to go about exposing these things. No, of course, they never went about trying to expose the president. It just ended up that way. Yeah. At least that's how the film presents it. Right? Yeah. I haven't read the book. So I found that to be really intriguing because these are people sticking to their guns morally, ethically, and 
in a way that we don't really see the press do today, right? You mentioned all these leaks, and it's not even just like leaks, but you know, people sign NDAs or non-disclosure acts or agreements rather, and they break those all the time. So it just doesn't seem like people care because they want those views, they want those reads on their blog or their YouTube, whatever. So we really don't see that sort of universal integrity anymore in the press. And I'm there's still people out there, I'm sure, that do this, and and it's just. I think I was more enthralled by the characters than the actual activity of the plot itself. Yeah, I, I think you've got an interesting point here because I did go into this film. Really, all I knew is that it has Dustin Hoffman and was about Watergate and the and the and the post reporters. So I really expected it to be very sort of culturally resonant right now. But maybe it's just because I, I mean, I have super news malaise right now. It's just overwhelming and depressing and awful to watch i mean i literally to the point where i there are many podcasts that i follow that i've just stopped listening to for the last like three weeks because i just can't hear anymore about the insane shit happening in the government right now because it just it it is overwhelming well maybe that's the difference between us is that like you seem to be very plugged into news Mm -hmm. media podcasts television Social media, I'm sure, right? Not really, actually. I, I mean, it's really. I, I mean, I follow a lot of podcasts, and I follow a lot of. Um, I follow, you know, Wash Post, NPR, uh, but, but, but I, yeah, yeah, I would say I'm fairly plugged in, and I follow, you know, the shit happening in Washington. Well, I'm, I'm completely opposite to that, right? I don't have yes. any social media. I don't watch the news because I know I would be so greatly depressed, and I know it's a, you know, it's probably. I've done something wrong, you know, ethically to not, you know, be plugged in in the country I live in and be able to make decisions on, but it's just too much for me. And so maybe that's why I was so, so engaged with this film is because I didn't have like the specter of our grim reality hanging over me. Yeah. And I think this is, this is important to think about, right? Because, you know, the, the way we, we get our journalism and the way we get our information about these things has shifted so much since the 70s, right? I mean, my Washington Post subscription is completely on my phone. I don't get a physical Washington Post copy. And it's owned by Amazon. Yes, it is owned by Amazon, I know. And so that has its own problems. But, you know, and then and then even just the way I consume the news, right, is mostly through either the radio or through podcasts or through, you know, my phone apps. And, and there is something about, like, the being the the whole thing of being sucked into the news and so it, it's almost like how do you stay unplugged but know at least enough going right because you fall in a rabbit hole right so i don't even know that i'm the worst that there could be because i don't follow that that much news but certainly i'm farther into the hole than you are and it would be nice to go back out of that but once you're sort of in that and you're following sort of how these things are and i mean i think we should be politically active as you know, young, educated people, and and anyone in general, really. I mean, if you're if you're an American, you should be at least a little bit in the know about what's happening. But it's hard to say, like, where do we stop? Because the farther you go, as as we've seen in this film, right, the deeper you go into this. I mean, by, by the end, Deep Throat is like, listen, it's way crazier than you thought. It it's everyone. It's the entire 
intelligence community. And it's like, how do you even begin to like put this stuff together as a, a normal person that's not a politician or that's not even a journalist, right? Like, what do you do? The journalists get suck in, sucked into it and, and turn paranoid, like you said. And it, and it just goes all the way. And it's, it's just this sort of overwhelming rush. Maybe I like this movie a little bit more now that I'm talking about it. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned these things because the characters in the film they don't have all these leaks. They don't have all these avenues of approach. They are calling people. They're finding names. They're asking for names at places. And they're just talking to people, right? True. That's a really hard way to get information, as it turns out. But yeah. then your comment about the you know the population, they have nothing else to rely on except the news, right? Yeah. Print or television media. So they're maybe hungrier for it where we are probably... Well, we're definitely overstimulated by technology but it might also be flooded with information in in the form of news yeah and this is and this is pre 24-hour news cycle as, as far as i understand because that i think mm-hmm. is i think cnn is what late 70s when that becomes an actual entity in the world i could be sure. wrong tweet at me people tell me i'm terrible and wrong just do that anyway nathan <laughs> needs it but yeah i mean it, it there is something about that right and the fact that these guys and it, and it is kind of like really crazy to see the journalistic process in the 70s which is completely analog i mean they're on the phone with people they're showing up at people's houses you know they're digging through old phone books all these things now that you know to go find some of the stuff out you you sit in your living room in your underwear and you google it right or you get in a mm-hmm. database instead of you know sitting in your in in your big newsroom doing these things so i mean there is a lot here and i think what this film does in 2017 is really lift up journalists and the press right especially because we're in a, a moment where the press is being challenged kind of reviled in a lot of ways yeah i mean it's being very much challenged but at the same time you know when you've got you've got the president saying that the prep the free press is the enemy of the people at the same time right. washington post and new york times reported that their subscription rates since the most recent election have something like they've quadrupled i mean it's ridiculous because people People want to know what's going on, and they want again. It goes back to that theme of integrity versus corruption. They want some mm-hmm. sort of authoritative, you know, source of integrity that they can trust. And I think we're finding that again in in journalism, in in you know what it could be called print journalism, but you know a lot of people get these things through their phones or or whatever. Well, Ethan, you've kind of stumbled onto something I like to say about my thesis. Yeah. Here. So I think if I was able to choose another pivotal scene i would use the very opener where they have the typewriter slamming into the page with that super close-up shot Mm -hmm. and the noises it's making are not typewriter noises they are whiplashes and gunshots put together now that tells me all i need to know about the thesis of this film Mm -hmm. that words have power right words are weapons and if used appropriately, you can convince people of things, you can make them do things, you make them think something, or you can expose these giant government conspiracies. Yeah, that thesis is much better than mine. I don't like my thesis anymore, so I don't know that I want to share it. <laughs> Your words are without power? No, actually, I do think my words have some power, although I'm going to tweak it a little bit from what I originally wrote it, because I think now that talking through this with you has made me feel a lot better and i think and it goes back to just sort of what i was talking about a moment ago i think this film really does laud and lift up journalists and and is is worth watching in 2017 because it reminds us that journalists and the words that they put out right have a lot of power and are really important to 
the American, you know, government system, the you know, what we think of as American democracy or American republicanism with a small r, right? You need these things and these guys work their asses off and, you know, it's not they're not mudslingers trying to I mean, especially these guys, they're they in at no point do they ever talk about like trying to bring down Nixon and in fact they try to step their the the heads, right? Try to tell them like, "Whoa, step back. We don't want to interfere too much in this election. We don't want to fuck with Nixon and all that like we just want to report what's going on and so I think you know this film is it, it has a lot to say in 2017 about like the the act of journalism and the value in journalism and making journalists not the villains because in general I I don't think they are uh, and this film certainly shows us that they're not right but then today you have sort of the polar opposite of integrity-based journalism, you have fake news. People who, who make money just con, concocting fake news, right? So that's so kind of strange to see the, the difference, right? And of course, this is a small minority of people, but with the overabundance of technology and access to news, people believe some of this stuff. Right, and this idea that, well, I mean, it comes, again, just like in this film, you see it from the top down. You've got the the president of the United States who's calling Washington Post, who's calling CNN, who's calling these fake news because he's not liking their their stories, which is is a complete misrepresentation of what fake news is, right? This, right. I mean, and... Fake news is much more closely aligned with things like Facebook, right, where you can be almost literally put in a bubble uh, where or an echo chamber. They've talked a lot about that, right, where, where you right, only— Right, a filter bubble in which you like things, and now you're just seeing those things, and right. you're just stuck in your own little head. Exactly. You're only seeing the very far partisan, you know, I guess blogs and, and publications where you've got things like— Wall Street Journal and, you know, CNN and Washington Post and New York Times and big newspapers that in general are often leaning one way or the other, but are still, I mean, they have some journalistic integrity, right? Like the idea to say that CNN is fake news or that Washington Post or New York Times is fake news is is ridiculous. Now, that's not to say that especially CNN isn't exploitative of certain stories, I mean, of course they are because they we live in this 24-hour news cycle. But especially in, in these print publications, or I guess that's scare quotes around print because it's not really print as it was before. I mean, yeah, there there's bias, and but they're, I mean, you're not saying – I mean, we we're talking about these things that are written in – I mean, they have codes of journalism that sure. people must follow, right? Well, these are the things that we don't – necessarily need to worry about what's i was explaining this to my students last week what's really concerning is that we have such access to different views and opinions and if you just happen to agree with them it's very easy just to put yourself on a straight and narrow line of one perspective one ideology and it could be completely without you know any kind of evidence or support it could just be completely crazy right right you follow a handful of blogs a couple of podcasts and a few news sites that happen to be all believing the exact same thing and it could be horrible and wrong in so many different ways and you could never know because you've effectively shut yourself off from right outside information yeah and this is sort of the the, the moment the cultural moment we live in is this sort of the completion of the skepticism in both the government and the press that we see 
being sort of seeded or or coming to its sort of beginning in this film right where all of a sudden we can't really trust the government and then the even these even the washington post in this film right is like well how do we remain trustworthy like how do we remain relevant and and useful for people ethan we are stomping all over these three questions so why don't we just ask them in a formal fashion let's do it move through them so our first question as always is do we care about this film yes with caveats yes i don't know but i mean you seem like you've talked so much about how it reflects today's society i think you have to care about it you don't maybe have to like it but it seems like you definitely care about it yeah i think i think that's the way to put it i i think i definitely should care about it and i think we should care about it uh however it did not necessarily grip me this is not a film that i'm like itching to rewatch. however the more that I've talked about it, the more I think that it's it's important and worth considering and worth maybe thinking about and talking about. Yeah, I really like this film, and I don't know if a second viewing would really help. It would definitely help understanding the plot, but I don't know if I would get a whole lot more out of it. It's a good film. I appreciate it, but I don't know if I would necessarily see it again. Yeah, and I mean, for what it's worth, I think the acting is good. I think the cinematography is good and interesting. Our next question is, what do we owe to this film? Well, this is kind of tough, at least for me, because I'm venturing into areas that I, I'm just talking out of my ass. The non-denial denial thing could very well have begun in this film, that, and that's a trope, I mean, that we see in the world. Well, we, we definitely get the guy smoking a cigarette in a dark garage, the secret informant. Yes. We get that trope, we get the, you're being watched, have the music on, write you a note. Like that, those definitely come from there, right? So we definitely owe those tropes of the suspense or dramatic genres that deal with paranoia, right? Yeah, and I think you're right. I think that depiction of Deep Throat has become something that is really ingrained now in in film. I mean, you see it, I, it, it made me think actually of when he says that line, follow the money, which I think is probably from this i mean and and that's parodied quite a bit but it made me think of there's a line in zoolander which is a fantastic film dear listener and in zoolander which is a ridiculous movie there's this character who is he's a deep throat-esque character played by what's his name Mulder in x-files what's his name oh that's david Duchovny. david Duchovny. david Duchovny. and he's like keep pulling the sweater he's on the phone with this reporter he's like keep pulling the sweater and she's like, what? And he goes, maybe the whole thing will come unraveled. And she goes, do you, do you mean pull the thread? <laughs> and he's like, you got it, sister. And then he hangs up like you don't see him. So like this, that total trope of the deep throat character who's like in the shadows smoking a cigarette. Like, and, I mean, there's a character called Deep Throat in X-Files, you know, who is a, is a deep throaty character. And so our final question would be, does this film hold up? I Yeah, I mean, I think the, the easy answer is yes. Visually, yes. Cinematographically, yes. The acting is, is good. I mean, this is a still a fairly recent film. And it was I think 40 it had, years ago, Ethan. God, that's, that is terrifying. You're right, it is 40 years ago. I mean, but compared to, like, 1936, what did we watch last, a fucking Charlie Chaplin film? I mean... Sure. I agree this this film holds up or yeah I mean like I it may have been because I watched like a film from 1962 the night prior where it was Mm. like introducing Michael Caine which is like the weirdest phrase I think I've heard this week 
And so seeing this film, I was like, wow, it's so incredibly modern. Seeing something that's yeah. not Technicolor, right? So I would mm-hmm. agree this holds up. It, it enraptured me. I thought sound design was very good. I don't really remember there being a whole lot of issues with anything technological, which is, you know, you're having these reporters doing work. And if you can, if you understand what a typewriter is and the fact that they have to use rotary phones, then you're good, right? This might not play so well with a younger audience, but it's all stuff that existed in our, in our lives and may have used before. And I think, I think what, what this film does too, I mean, you could stage this as a play and that's the kind, and, and you could stage this, we could, this could be a period piece made today. I mean, you could literally take that script and remake it shot for shot and the big difference would be brad pitt perhaps, would be woodward and brad pitt would be woodward. hoffman would be bernstein dustin hoffman would still be bernstein yeah <laughs> yeah i mean like this is not i mean this is a drama and this is a drama in like the very sort of thea- theatrical when i say theatrical i mean like the theater like you're, it's interior shots, exterior shots. There are not explosions. There are not chases. You could stage this, right? So, yes, it holds up. It would be a period piece now, obviously. And for as much as I wasn't maybe as engaged as I could have been throughout the film, that doesn't mean that, that it, it no longer holds up for a modern audience. I just think that there's a genre of film that kind of bores me a little bit and doesn't really grab me. And this just sort of fits into that. So take my assessment with a grain of salt because you know the james bond effect with that i think we'll call this episode well we we should probably mention briefly that we've got some episodes coming up and they're going to live on patreon right we're going to be we have finished migrating all of our episodes over to patreon both the free canonical ones and of course our super secret bonus content edition episodes live there anyway but everyone will have access to the free ones patrons patrons of the arts will still be the ones that have exclusive access to the super secret bonus content edition episodes yes so if you are a normal listener who is not a patreon supporter nothing has changed except for that all of our episodes will not live in an archive on soundcloud they only a few will live on soundcloud the archive will continue to live on itunes through patreon Absolutely correct. And in fact, next week, we are doing our exclusive Patron of the Arts episode, a film that Ethan has picked. Ethan, what is that film again? I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's Ex Machina, which I know, dear listener, is, is stretching the recent film constraint that we've placed on ourselves. But the last time I checked, you can still get it on Redbox. And, well, maybe not every single Redbox, but you can get it on Redbox, at least around here. And it's on Amazon Prime. So it is, I'm counting it, even though it's from 2015, it's a little bit older, but it's still fairly recent. It was late in 2015, I think. And then after that, the next week, we are back on the canonical list, number 76, which will be our 25th episode, which means our rundown part five is coming up, which means we've gone through a fourth of the films on this list. I know. And that film is Forrest Gump. Ooh, good. That'll be a good one. I agree. So until that time, I've been Matt Bazell. And I'm Deep Throat. And there will be spoilers. There Will there be spoilers? Wait, uh, now I'm going to say it in my best. If you're Deep Throat, you will be. There will be. Here, this is my my best like Deep Throat impression. Now, dear listener, imagine that you and I, you're, you and I are in a dark, cold. I'm walking away. <laughs> Parking garage at 2 a.m. 
and I come out of the shadows smoking a cigarette. There will be spoilers. There Will Be Spoilers is hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. It's produced each week by Matt Bazell. Our artwork is by Becca Knight. You can find her on Twitter at BeccaTheKnight. Our great music was produced and created by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You can check him out all over the internet. You can always find us on Twitter at SpoilersCast. And you can find us on Patreon if you would like to support us for only $5 a month. Also at Patreon.com slash SpoilersCast. Our email continues to be SpoilersCast at gmail.com. So send us some complaints hate mail and maybe a compliment or two remember please subscribe to us on soundcloud itunes or stitcher and we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on itunes it really helps thank you so much chocolate I could eat about a million and a half of these my mom always said life was like a box of chocolates America owes you a debt of gratitude son I understand you were wounded where were you hit in the buttocks sir oh that must be a sight I'd kind of like to see that